Health Naturally and Dennis Stewart. It's uh, hmm, sinusitis, noses, runny noses. That's mm. all a it's tremendous... Happening. Um, it's happening, Jane. It's and, happening. Uh, admittedly, in, in, uh, in winter we have more... Well, I think we have more lower respiratory problems, things like bronchitis and uh, coughs and uh, things like that. But come spring, and that we're moving now from spring into summer, we're now confronted with the environment, an environment of blossom, and a, an environment of pollens, an environment that's very allergenic. And at this time of the year, anyone in any aspect of medicine, complementary or mainstream, will know that there are a steady train of patients presenting with things like hay fever, uh, infection of the sinuses, uh, even glue ear. And uh, these conditions afflict many, many people. And uh, fortunately, within um, naturopathic and mainstream herbal medicine, there are some good options here for people to begin to take on board as ways of uh, averting the need to use ongoing antihistamines and even perhaps antibiotics. So today we want to look at um, the, how can we resist uh, allergies that afflict the upper respiratory tract and how can we fight potential infections of the upper respiratory tract and save us having to go down the pathway of using mainstream medicine, useful as it is, the antibiotic and the antihistamine, in my opinion, should be used um, really uh, very selectively. And wherever possible, I contend we should use natural approaches to help people fight these wretched conditions, prevent them even, but certainly uh, treat them naturally while they're occurring. Because we hear a lot about antibiotics and yes. because there's been so many of yes. them used, yes. there's been a resistance oh, built up so. with the bugs probably. And look, I think this is something that's um, concerning even lay people. It's interesting now to see that um, lay people are aware of the fact that the, uh, the antibiotic situation... Uh, is in many ways quite frightening and that we have perhaps over decades used antibiotics for treating conditions for which they were really not applicable and many of those conditions associated with the upper respiratory tract have more to do with viral infections, have more to do with um, allergic conditions than, than bacterial activity and in this area patients are astute enough to be looking at ways and means of addressing their history of upper respiratory tract problems using natural approaches. And fortunately, uh, my long history of using natural remedies has encouraged me to say that the upper respiratory tract in particular is very, very susceptible to the benefits of natural medicine. And we're going to give some real clues today uh, for helping people resist allergies, for helping people fight infection in the sinuses, and even helping people address the problem of glue ear, which is very popular in kids, but can also assert itself in adults, that is the build-up of fluid in the eustachian tubes with all the problems that go with it. Herbs, natural medicines have a real role to play in this area of the, of the body. Are we talking about acute management here or uh, look, a build-up uh, Look, um, I tend to think approach. you would know that I have great regard for the uh, uh, mainstream medical system. And I really, uh, very rarely would I see um, complementary medicine, herbal medicine, nutritional medicine, dealing with 
acute disease activity. That's the role of mainstream medicine. That is the role for the antibiotic, for the antihistamine. What we're talking about today are ways and means of addressing the susceptibility to allergic conditions or the susceptibility to infections, building up a preventative base and indeed helping patients develop an approach that will lessen the chronicity of some of these conditions. Because even though we've said uh, hay fever or rhinitis, as it's technically known, is particularly appropriate for this time of the year, some people naturally, year in and year out, every season, are plagued with rhinitis conditions, uh, nasal congestion, stuffiness, even occasionally infection. That is not necessarily something that's just restricted to this time of the year. And interestingly, many people also have a a propensity to develop ongoing infections of sinusitis. Uh, These are the conditions where I think complementary medicine has a role, particularly herbal medicine, to build up, if you like. And it's a good term, build up a natural resistance, which lessens the need to present for acute management. Talking about runny noses, and um, I suppose not just runny noses, it's more than that, isn't it? Well, we're dealing with the upper respiratory tract generally, but runny runny nose, as you pointed out, is one of the most overt symptoms of a condition that afflicts the upper respiratory tract, the nasal passages in particular. And that leads to this condition that we've mentioned today, this condition known as rhinitis. Now, most people use the term hay fever, but uh, rhinitis is, is, is a, can be a serious condition. What we're talking about today is predominantly allergic rhinitis. Uh, medical practitioners would know that there are a number of different forms of rhinitis, but we're talking about that condition which, particularly at this time of the year, sees people reaching for preparations to spray up their nose or to go and take an antihistamine, uh, a dreadful condition which the media, of course, plays up, even offering, I think, space trips to another planet to get away from this condition. Well, let's, let's look at allergic rhinitis for a moment. What is there in natural medicine that can lessen the assertion of these symptoms, which particularly at this time of the year can become, become quite troublesome? Well, there are a couple of approaches and a couple of very, very good herbs that can be used here. One of the most significant herbs, and it can be procured from a herbalist, a pharmacist or a health food store, one of the most effective herbs actually comes from the Asian spectrum or tradition. In Western herbalism, we have a herb called skullcap. Now, skullcap is known as scutellaria latifolia. That is Western um, skullcap, and it's used predominantly to address mild conditions of the nervous system. But there is an Asian skullcap known as Scutellaria bicolensis, and listeners will be interested to know that it has crept its way into the practice of Western herbalism, particularly in this country, where herbalism continues to become very eclectic due to our multicultural nature, So our herbal uh, profession is becoming more coloured in the spectrum of herbs that it's using. Now, Baikal skullcap is put forward in our profession as one of the most useful devices to lessen conditions that are triggered by allergies. And therefore, it's not just relative 
uh, to the nasal passages to rhinitis, or hay fever as we call it. It can also be used to address allergies of the skin, things that are triggered off by allergens. So the first thing that I want listeners to take on board is that if you are plagued at this time of the year by allergies of the upper respiratory tract, one of the leading, one of the leading anti-allergic herbs is Bicol skullcap, B-A-I-C-A-L, Bicol skullcap, Scutellaria bicolensis, readily available, I would think, as I've said, from most herbalists, most pharmacists, and uh, from uh, even our health food stores. Now, it is just one remedy, but a lead remedy that is usually uh, combined, usually combined with other herbs uh, better known in Western herbalism. Uh, Simon Mills, a leading English uh, herbal exponent um, and a, a writer of very good books on herbalism. I've lectured from Mills' books all my professional life. Uh, he has great regard for the herb called ribwort, R-I-B-W-O-R-T. Now, ribwort, interestingly, is a weed in this country. Farmers would know it. Um, it's, it's known as ribwort. Uh, Plantago lanceolata is its name. Um, it, it comes up with a, with a stem, and at the end of the stem, there's like a little bullet. And as kids, we used, in class, used to fire these things at each other because they, they make very good harmless bullets. Now, skull, it's all pat- coming out It's all coming out here. But interestingly, this wayside herb, ribwort, um, Plantago lanceolata, is next to Bicol skullcap, one of the most popularly used herbs in a combination used to lessen ongoing allergically-based rhinitis. Now, there are two good clues for people out there that are sufferers. There are two clues that will help you, two herbs that will help you. But, as I've always said on this program, in any condition uh, dealing with the upper respiratory tract where there's inflammation and allergenicity and even possibly infection, but certainly where those symptoms of inflammation assert themselves, with uh, difficulty in breathing through the nose, a lot of congestion, a runny nose or catarrh, as we used to call it, the role of what we call bioflavonoids should never be underestimated. Uh, Listeners will say, well, there's Dennis going again talking about bioflavonoids. Well, bioflavonoids are a group, and there are a number of them, and I have great regard for them uh, with very good reasons. Now, bioflavonoids particularly assert themselves on the mucous membrane. Now, when we talk about the mucous membrane, that's the lining of the nasal passages. It's the lining of the sinuses. And these membranes secrete mucus. In their overactive state, they create a lot of mucus, and we use the term catarrh to describe the production of that mucus, which can be embarrassing and form the base of infection. Now, a quiet perseverance with bioflavonoids that are usually accompanied by vitamin C and also are usually harnessed in conjunction with bromelain, an enzyme which liberates their action. Perseverance with bioflavonoids, again, substances readily available, readily available from good outlets. Using that in conjunction with the couple of herbs that I've mentioned, in my opinion, would give to sufferers of allergic rhinitis suffering at this time of the year, a real option, 
of doing better than what they are and may be escaping the need to continually depend upon the antihistamine. Mm. Well, there's still sinusitis to talk oh, about. We've, and got, we'll we've, got a lot, we've got a lot more to talk about. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is only the start because anyone who's practised any system of medicine will know that the upper respiratory tract is a most popular presentation in its distress uh, because, as I've said, there are multiple conditions that afflict the region and it's in this area that I've demonstrated, as I said earlier, some of the best benefits to come from herbal medicine. So we'll certainly have a look in a moment at the condition of sinusitis, see how we differentiate it from rhinitis and the slightly different bracket of herbs that are used to address that problem. And this can be sinusitis that's either triggered off, if you like, as a byproduct of, of a seasonal factor, or it can be sinusitis, which can be a chronic condition that many people suffer from and go from one episode to another. Here we can get some breakthrough experiences using some of the herbs that I'm going to talk about. We've talked about rhinitis and some herbs that can help yes, that. Yes, yes. Sinusitis, how does okay. that differ from rhinitis? Well, look, frequently the symptoms can be very similar and, and people will sometimes refer uh, to their nasal symptoms as being, if you like, uh, an episode of sinusitis. Frequently, rhinitis can uh, be an infected condition. Sinusitis is characterised by more infection and is characterised by more overt pain, a pain that can be felt across the forehead and be very distressing. And um, it involves the sinuses entirely, not just, if you like, potentially the nasal passages. So the sinuses um, are, if you like, a more complicated system and as a result uh, can experience uh, infection, inflammation, either of an acute or chronic nature, and seasonally uh, rhinitis conditions can frequently trigger off uh, complications of sinusitis, particularly if the rhinitis becomes infected, it can move to the sinuses and there you have a problem. So a lot of what we've said about uh, treating rhinitis, i.e. hay fever, with those herbs uh, is useful in the context of what we would say about sinusitis. But here, remember, we're not just talking about it as a seasonal thing. We're talking about it as a condition that can afflict people at any time. Now, here there is an incredibly useful uh, bracket of herbs which rarely miss, in, well, in my experience, they rarely miss, particularly in addressing the chronicity of the condition, the recurrence of the condition, uh, giving a breakthrough from dependence on uh, mainstream antibiotics. Now, here, probably the leading herb, probably the leading herb dealing with chronic sinusitis, recurring sinusitis, sinusitis that defies um, management with, with just antibiotics. The leading herb is the herb that we've mentioned probably more frequently on the program than any other herb. And it's the American, the North American herb known as Echinacea. Now, uh, I've had a lot to do with Echinacea. Uh, listeners probably know that um, uh, Professor Elliott from this university in his retirement and myself on his property at Peach Orchard Road, Arimba, uh, grew the first commercial crop of Echinacea purpurea in, in Australia. Uh, and that was based on my knowledge of the herb and my uh, history of having prescribed it 
prior to my meeting, Professor Elliot. Echinacea then at the beginning of my career and now at the end of my career is still, in my opinion, the most useful uh, herb to build up a natural resistance to infection. It is not an antibiotic, but it is a very useful herb with specific proven ability to boost the immune system, to strengthen tissue that's been inflamed and infected. And any formula, in my opinion, that misses out on incorporating echinacea or any treatment for sinusitis uh, that's not incorporating echinacea may be missing out on the leading remedy, which, if taken chronically, can lead a pack of other herbs to stop the infection and the inflammation occurring. Now, I might just say that many people, for instance, when they come to see me in my room, say, oh, look, I'm taking horseradish and garlic for my rhinitis. Well, horseradish and garlic, in my opinion, will have little effect on rhinitis. It may have some useful effect on mild episodes of sinusitis. Now, that is a hint for people because people can get disappointing results using herbs in the wrong way. However, coming back to uh, mainstream Western herbalism, the North American herb, Echinacea, is remarkable for addressing recurrent infections of the upper respiratory tract. However, anyone who's been trained in Western herbalism will also know that the running mate for Echinacea has always been that unique and remarkable but increasingly rare herb known as Golden Seal, Hydrastus canadensis. Now, you've got to read the history of this herb to appreciate its importance in herbal medicine even today. With Echinacea, it provides such a duo in addressing so many infections throughout the system and not just the respiratory tract. It's excellent in addressing sinusitis, the chronic recurring uh, nature of it, but it's also very effective in addressing other chronic conditions of other parts of the body. Golden seal is a little bit different, however, to echinacea, and you've got to see the plant growing to appreciate its magnificence. Uh, interestingly, interestingly, um, it is uh, being cultivated presently in Victoria. We've tried to cultivate a Jane in the Hunter, but mm. the, uh, the, the, the heat of the Hunter uh, during summertime has has aborted most of my growing, so I've pretty, given, pretty well given up on growing golden seal. I've successfully grown echinacea. But golden seal is fascinating in as much that when you extract it, it presents a golden extract or tincture, and that contains a number of what are called alkaloids. Alkaloids are chemical constituents in many herbs, and the alkaloids uh, of golden seal have even been defined as having antimicrobial characteristics. That is, they have genuine, mild antibiotic properties and mild antifungal properties. And therefore, they work differently from echinacea, which has a, an immune-stimulating effect. They actually address the infection itself. And over a period of time, working with echinacea will even debilitate active infection, particularly in the sinus mucous membrane. So whenever I treat sinusitis, and I treat a lot of it, in fact, one of my uh, students, dear Robin Kirby, uh, years ago, built a practice around treating sinusitis based 
on the herbs that I taught her. Uh, she had a very successful business, essentially, treating sinusitis because there is so much of it around. Echinacea and the herb golden seal as a useful combination to address sinusitis. There are two herbs and probably the leading herbs. But interestingly, interestingly, well, I mean, this topic could go on forever and ever, ever. It's so interesting. If you look in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia, you'll find two specific herbs called up for addressing sinusitis. That is, if you look in the reference in italics, their name will jump out the page. And this means they are seen as being uniquely beneficial for this condition. The interesting fact is that one of the herbs is known as eyebright. And people say, well, for goodness sake, what's eyebright got to do with sinusitis? Well, herbs have multiple benefits. That should be appreciated. Multiple benefits. Eyebright is one of these herbs that has a lot of benefit in eye conditions. And in the past, it was used even as a topical application, not used that way these days. But it is a herb to address also catarrhal or watery symptoms, that's what we're talking about, of the upper respiratory tract. In fact, Mills, in his references, talks about it being used for waterlogged conditions of the upper respiratory tract. So my formulation for sinusitis would always incorporate um, not just echinacea and golden seal, but would also incorporate the European herb known as eyebright, Euphrasia officinalis, uh, a unique and lovely little herb, like so many herbs, however, becoming endangered and difficult to get hold of. The other herb that the pharmacopoeia mentions for sinusitis particularly is better known, and it may even occur in people's gardens. And uh, we're, we're talking about uh, elderflowers. Uh, people have probably seen elder growing. It comes with a beautiful umbral of of, uh, of white to yellow flowers, lovely uh, well, it's virtually a tree if it gets out of control. Now, elderflowers, in conjunction with eyebright, in conjunction with echinacea, and in conjunction with golden seal, are really that's really a combination hard to beat. And I've given to practitioners and pharmacists and all others out there today my secret and famous combination of herbs for addressing chronic recurring sinusitis. We'll have a look at another condition in a moment, Jane. And just before we get there, um, in England in particular, yes. a lot of people make wine out of elderflower. Maybe that helps with We could go into that. We could go into that sinusitis. well. but <laughs> We won't know. <laughs> that might be... Hey, hey, you've, you've, you've jolted my thinking there. That might be something to introduce to the um, ever-developing wine industry in the Hunter Valley. Uh, there could be a role for elderberry wine, Jane. I should talk about that up there. That puts a new meaning to summer wine, doesn't it? <laughs> it does indeed. <laughs> Health naturally. And, Dennis Stewart, we're talking about all those afflictions that come upon us when we think we've got rid of runny noses, but they mm, come mm, back. Mm. So we've talked about... Um, uh, rhinitis, sinusitis, and we're on to things that affect the tubes. Yes, look, there is a condition that is colloquially known as glue ear, and doctors see a lot of this. Naturopathic and herbal medicine practitioners also see it, usually um, in, in children, and um, usually uh, where parents are looking at an approach to address 
this condition without going down the pathway of uh, the placement of grommets, which is sometimes necessary and sometimes very successful. But um, glue ear can also be experienced by adults. It's a build-up of fluid in the eustachian tubes, which can dampen hearing, as well as create unpleasant symptoms. Not always infection, but enough uh, to create problems. Dampening of hearing, which is particularly noticeable in some children, and even, even a sense of being a little bit off balance. Now, this is a condition that, again, can be either episodic, particularly in, in kids, or it can be a chronic condition that defies management. In case of kids, it's something that they may grow out of, but can be troublesome in the process of growing out. Um, here, whether it be in a children's condition or adults that are plagued by eustachian tube catarrh, a build-up of fluid. Now, people say, what do you mean by catarrh? Look, it's an old term. Uh, it's still used in my vocabulary. But catarrh, I see, as being another way of describing a chronic build-up of mucus. I said earlier in the program that the mucous membranes of the upper respiratory tract naturally produce mucus. They're meant to do that. But in their inflamed and infected state, they can become catarrhal. And there you have, if you like, uh, an evidence of, of inflammation or infection. An upper respiratory tract catarrh is another way, I guess, of, of bracketing this condition of uh, eustachian tube catarrh. Now, just as I've mentioned herbs for rhinitis, I mentioned a couple of herbs there that I hope people have noted. And just as I've mentioned some classic, mainly Western herbs that are used to address sinusitis. So interestingly, in the area of eustachian tube catarrh, a couple of harmless, what I mean, I would argue that the majority of the herbs that we use are harmless, particularly if they're used in their correct dosage. And again, I say to listeners, dosage is critical um, and a herbal formula can only work if it not only contains the correct herbs, but also is prescribed in the correct dosage. Now, uh, two herbs that are famous for their ability to address glue ear uh, as uh, the fascinating little herb known as ground ivy. Now, it's a fascinating and lovely little remedy uh, to get to get hold of the herb ground ivy. And interestingly, it's supported or reinforced by a herb which very shortly, very shortly, will be seen all over the Hunter Valley particularly, and inasmuch that it comes up uh, as, a, as a herb with a brilliant uh, golden spike of flowers, and it's known as golden rod. And uh, listeners should look out for it round the Western um, uh, Bowling Club, or I think it might be just the Western um, Football Club, uh, great club, by the way, good good restaurant, very well patronised, and a lovely football field. I drive past it nearly every day. But in the uh, perimeter of their uh, their boundaries, uh, the golden rod is always found in the sort of damp areas. And at this time of the year, it's coming up nice, nicely. It is not in blossom yet. But for listeners that like to look out for herbs, as I do, uh, sometimes dangerously, uh, but when you look out for herbs, 
come round about Christmas time or a little bit after, round that area you'll see the golden rod and the flowers of golden rod. By the by, the way, its botanical name is Solidago canadensis. It's the Canadian species of golden rod. They all share the common um, characteristics. You put together ground ivy and you put together golden rod and you have a combination that in my experience is little less than magic in clearing or draining a lot of the fluid from the eustachian tubes. Now, speaking about ground ivy, is that the same as the normal ivy that takes over gardens? No, ah, no, no, that's a different one altogether. Um, ground ivy. Now, uh, Napita, 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 Napita. That's all right. We'll take your word for it. <laughs> Napita heteracea, I think, is its, its botanical name, uh, <laughs> and one of my one of my favourites. Interestingly, Jane, um, the big problem now, I'm finding it increasingly is um, getting hold of some of these remedies that we took for granted. One of the biggest problems is, um, in the last couple of decades, since a lot of Eastern European countries have come into the Western bloc and are benefiting from the welfare of the Western European um, situation, many of the traditional harvesters of herbs have ceased uh, it's, it's, uh, they're on the bandwagon. They're in the common market. And uh, collecting herbs is now a dying art in many Eastern European countries where we used to get good supplies of ground ivy and golden rod. Still available, but more difficult. Mm. Now, uh, as well as um, herbs, um, can diets that eliminate different foods help in treating allergies? Before I go there, Jane, I should just mention that someone has uh, come up on the screen and has corrected my naming of the Western uh, Club that I was referring to, a wonderful club. It's, of course, Western Workers Club. That's a wonderful club, and uh, I'm sure they wouldn't have been offended by my (laughs) calling it up as a football club or something like that. But um, coming back to this question of, of diet, does food or diet have a role to play in any of these conditions. Look, for chronic catarrhal conditions of the upper respiratory tract, and in particularly in children, there are some useful devices. I read a paper, a copy of which I got my staff to rustle up for me yesterday, written by a British medical practitioner called Dr Bartram, and was called The Cause and Cure of Catar. Years ago, I was so impressed with his article that I had it published, and he said wherever Qatar was a problem, dietary restriction of refined carbohydrates, sugar, and dairy products was a useful device to at least try as a means of lessening the propensity in some people, particularly children, to develop these Qataral conditions. Now, interestingly, and this is really something from left field, and people think that I've gone esoteric when I say this, blue-eyed children, blue-eyed children I have noted, including my eldest daughter, Rachel, particularly with a, with, a, with a broad nose and with little white flecks around the periphery of the iris, you can almost guarantee that they will suffer upper respiratory tract catarrhal problems and that little dietary restriction frequently works in kids with that iris complexion. Okay, so we've had a really good look at um, at herbs and uh, things to um, 
help with Well, I, I hope out there people have been problems. jotting down all my secrets. I've been giving <laughs> my experience of 40 years and some of my famous formulations, and I'm happy to do that. These things work, but like all herbal medicine, it needs to be persevered with. They don't work overnight. They're quiet achievers. Their role is preventative and recuperative. And Health Naturally, Dennis will be back next week with more from the world of herbal medicine. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.